Hey, what's going on, guys? Welcome to today's episode. We have Marco Salinas. Marco, yes. welcome to the show. Right. Thank you very much. Appreciate you having me. Absolute pleasure. It's going to be an exciting show. And we're going to start off the way I start off all my podcasts, which is a little introduction of who you are, what you do, and how you got there. Sure. Yes. Uh, so again, my name is Marco Salinas, and uh, I own a company called Expert Publishing Associates. Uh, I've been self-employed um, for about 13 years now. So I spent about um, 12 years running a financial services uh, company. So I do have a background in the financial services space. So I was doing um, credit improvement, credit repair, business credit, corporate credit, and that type of thing. And, and I always tell people, I cut my teeth in marketing, you know, running that business. So during that time period, um, I was basically learning and spending a lot of time doing, uh, you know, different marketing strategies. And I spent a lot of time reading. Um, I went to seminars and I just kind of immersed myself more than anything else in the marketing aspect of of the business. That was that was I considered that to be my dessert. I really enjoyed every bit of it. And so it didn't take me that long before I started kind of getting an itch to say, you know, maybe I should be doing this for other businesses because I enjoy it so much. So a couple of years into running the financial business, I started a marketing company on the side. I was running it as kind of somewhat of a side hustle while I was still running my financial services business. But the cool thing about doing that was that I was in the trenches, right? I was trying things. Some stuff worked, some stuff didn't work. But I think one of the things that stood out to me more than anything else, my favorite type of marketing was what I would call authority marketing. And this is the type of marketing that you use to position yourself. So the kind of the key word in that whole equation is positioning. You should be doing things as a business owner to elevate your status so that you have a higher position in the mind of your prospect and the mind of the people that you're doing business with. And that way they see you as somebody who is more valuable. Your time is more valuable, your knowledge, your expertise. So I really held on to that as I started going through and I started implementing those strategies within my business. And I found something that was profound. I found that instead of me chasing the customers, they started to chase me after I positioned myself higher using different types of media and publications. Um, they saw me as somebody who was very valuable. If you're going to spend time with this guy, we were going to take it seriously. We we're going to turn off all the distractions. We're not going to be messing with our phone. We're not going to be doing this. Matter of fact, we're not even really going to shop around because your, your marketing has already pre-sold me and has already showed me that you're very valuable. So that's kind of my background. Now I'm doing it full time. I've been doing it full time for about two years now. Um, with the last year in particular, things really picking up. And that's uh, kind of like the the short story of what I've been doing and what I'm doing now. Right. Yeah. So you brought something up, right? Like what you just described there is what we call top of mind. So, and that's exactly, I mean, real estate business kind of works the same way, right? Like you think of an agent, not necessarily based on how old they are, how experienced they are, but more of uh, who comes to mind when you think of one. And that's usually the first person you call. So same Very concept. True. Yeah. Very true. Very true. Yes, sir. You nailed it. So that's awesome. Now, it's one of those things you went to the financial industry in the beginning. What drove you to do that? To, like why the finances to start off with? 
Man, that's a that's an awesome question. See, I was I consider myself somebody who switched from the the bad guy team to the good guy team because when I was when I was in the earlier years of my career, I was still working a nine to five job. I found myself kind of sort of accidentally as a accidentally, so to speak, as a bill collector. I ended up in the collections world and it was just like, you know, one job and then another job and then the pay was great. And I and it was like, oh, man, it just kept coming. It was like in my lap. But then as I started going deeper into it, I started like really hating it. You know, I was very unhappy being the bad guy who wants to be a bill collector. Right. I mean, there's no there's no fun in that whatsoever, unless you have some sort of a dark personality, which I don't. And then um, I'm doing that. And then I end up finding through finding out through a, a friend of the family that there was a guy in Austin, Texas that had a company that was doing very well. I kept hearing these little comments about how this person's business was was booming, basically. And, and I said, well, what is what is he doing? He's doing this thing called credit repair. I had no idea even really what that was. I mean, I could put those two words together, but I never knew that there was a possibility that credit could even be improved. I thought you just had to wait seven years, you know, and then it goes away. But I ended up going and doing a meeting with him. I'm in San Antonio. So I drove up to Austin and uh, did a meeting. And he explained to me, we help people to improve their credit so they can buy a house. And I was like, man, dude, I'm sold. I'm sold. Get me out of this negative world where I'm the bad guy. And let me turn into somebody who can now help you to, you know, achieve the American dream. I'm like, where do I sign up? You know, let's do this. And that's exactly what happened. I, I, I started out part-time as I was transitioning away from that um, collections career. But as soon as I had the chance, I jumped into it full-time. I hit the ground running. Um, and it was, a, it was a really strong, really strong start. And so I was hooked. I just absolutely loved this idea of helping people to improve their finances so that they could become homeowners and, and to really improve the quality of their life. I thought that was a really beautiful thing. So that's how I got involved with that, John. That makes sense. Absolutely. So, and that, you know, good for you for uh, wanting to do that and help people. Thank you. So. Yeah, I appreciate it. It was a lot of fun. It was actually very rewarding, a very, very rewarding uh, career. What was your biggest struggle like, with the transition, right? Because I mean, like you said, you found yourself enjoying marketing, but you just also just finished saying that you liked helping people with the financials. So there must have been some form of a hesitation or a hold back, you know, in that yeah. switch. The thing about it was that that industry has a lot of government scrutiny. And so everybody hates anybody that's involved with credit restoration because, you know, uh, and when I say everybody, I mean the big the big entities. So the banks uh, don't like you. Right. Any any form of banking, any form of lending doesn't like you unless they're benefiting from it, because we would help to improve the credit and then they would end up they would end up buying a house, you know. Um, but all the government agencies despise credit restoration. And so it got to a point where it was like, man, I, you know, I felt like I was always I was always looking over my shoulder, but I was running a very compliant and and I went above and beyond to be extra, you know, compliant really um, for the customers. I never had any complaints in, in, in 12 years of running that thing. We never we had an A plus BBB rating and um, we always make sure that the customer was happy. I mean, aside from maybe, you know, two or three of these people that that just didn't want to pay a bill or something and, and just, you know, got upset and, and complained. But really, we had we had almost a completely uh, pristine online, um, 
reputation, you know, and, and lots of referrals because we would do a really good job. But the government was always lurking there, always basically trying to make us feel like we were doing something wrong. And then recently there was a new kind of a, a new enforcement that came down the line that said that 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 industry was not going to be able to charge a fee unless they uh, waited for six months. So a client enrolls, fix their credit, then you're done fixing their credit, then you have to wait six more months, then you can finally get paid. And I don't know any business that can run with that. Now, there's a lot of lawsuits and there's a lot of people who are trying to fight it and all that. I just got to a point after 12 years of dealing with that kind of scrutiny and always that anxiety of feeling like one day my business was just going to get shut down that I said, man, I just want to, I just want to do something where I don't have that, that type of problem hanging over me because I'm doing a really good job of running an honest business here. Why am I being made to feel like I'm not? And so I just decided I wanted to go ahead and switch to something where I didn't have to worry about that. And that's, I think, part of why I went in with things that everybody knows and understands, um, like marketing, but even more so uh, books, right? Because everybody knows what a book is. Everybody knows how that works. Books have always been around. They will always be around. It's a very safe place to be. Um, and so now I'm finding that that I don't have a lot of those obstacles of barriers and, you know, oh, I can't charge up front or I have to wait a certain time. And, you know, I don't have those obstacles anymore. And so it was just it was time for that change. And I'm really enjoying it now because now I'm helping business owners to succeed. And, and that's become my new passion. Right. See, there you go. Right. Like, like I, I found it hard and kind of mind stumbling that uh, you would have trouble with regulators in that business because you would think helping people fix their credit and get on good terms with people would be the goal of everyone. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. But the government doesn't like the idea of saying, well, this guy had a 500 credit score and now he has a 650 score. We were, we were doing much better financially when the guy's credit score was a 500 because we could offer him the expensive products the high interest products. So they're like, leave this stuff alone. Stop manipulating, stop deleting things, what have you. Um, just let this guy stay at a 500 credit score. And that way um, we can keep charging him, you know, 25% interest. So I think it really still boils down to greed, money, you know, that kind of thing. And then there were certain types of people that were, you know, certain people of, of different uh, demographics and different backgrounds that typically have very poor credit and they're seeing them with good credit. And I think it's like, hey, man, I don't really like that brown person over there doing so well with that great credit score. You know, and I'm not saying that that, you know, that other other races don't have bad credit because I think I saw with my own eyes, everybody struggles the same. But I think there's definitely that that stereotype that that type of group over there should have bad credit and it needs to stay that way. And when those changes come up, it's like, hey, wait a minute. No, we're gonna, we need to keep these people down. So let's let's make sure that they're not getting access to the resources they need to improve their financial situation. So that was my personal take on that, you know, after 12 years of doing it. Right, right. So that's interesting. Now, going into what you're doing now, you're into the marketing and particularly books. Now, with the digital age and, you know, COVID, you know, coming around and lockdowns coming around and everything's kind of online now, sure. not to say that there's not anything offline like you know the old traditional stuff does exist sure you know i mean and i'm avid uh, i'm an avid book reader myself but there's a lot of people that uh, will uh read online or listen to podcasts or will uh you know 
take on media or take on uh, books in a different sense. How does that affect your business? Yeah, I think that um, first and foremost, things are really starting to kind of go back to what I would consider a, a, a 2019 world. Again, things are definitely moving in that direction. People are eager to get back to a normal way of life. Um, COVID was, you know, it, it had to happen, I guess. I mean, in other words, we had to do what we had to do afterwards, right? But now people are like, all right, I'm, I'm ready. I'm ready to go back to my old life as it was before that enormous interruption. So like, for example, myself, I'm part of a BNI group, Business Networking International, and we have one of the biggest groups in my city. It's fast growing. People are just every single week, we've got a large amount of visitors. And I notice that a lot of these businesses are eager to get back out there and start shaking hands again, start doing old, you know, old school, so to speak, um, traditional methods of networking. Um, the, the majority of those of those BNI meetings had gone to virtual and now they're slowly starting to to go back to being in person again, or worst case scenario, hybrid, right? Because at the end of the day, John, I think a lot of there's a lot of industries out there that still rely on uh, referrals. And a lot of times you're not going to get the full effect of those referrals if you're not out there in some capacity, if you're not out there talking with people and meeting and getting, you know, getting those, making those connections, basically. Now, don't get me wrong. Can you still make amazing virtual connections? Of course you can. In a sense, that's what you and I are doing right now. And so um, these things do work, but it's perfectly okay to do both. And so for the businesses that are very heavily reliant on referrals, especially people that are still, in fact, meeting people face-to-face, -face, at least either through the whole duration of their sales cycle or at least part of it, um, giving a physical, tangible item like a book is still very effective. My Myself, like you, John, I'm also a big book guy. You can see I have a little bit back here and I have a lot more bookshelf. That's just a tiny portion of what I have here at my office. Um, and so I'm obsessed with books, right? I love to read them, but you know what? Deep down, I also like to like, I don't get the same experience out of something that I look at virtually that I do with a physical book, right? Because sure. when I'm holding the thing, when I'm flipping through the pages, um, there's even like a certain sense of the, of the smell, <laughs> you know, the odor, that comes off of the book and paper and the pages and things that is for me, it's almost like intoxicating. Like I love it. Like I'll sit there sometimes and just take in the, the odor of, of the pages of the book, especially older books. Um, so that's part of the experience, I think. Right. Then there's also that fact that like, I don't know about you, but like when I went to school, when I was a kid in the eighties and uh, the early nineties, we would have these things called a book fair, the scholastic yeah, yeah. book fair. Right. That was like the exciting, the, one of the most exciting days of the whole school year. Right. We get out of school. I'm sorry. We get out of class. We go to the library. They have it all set up. And what, what was the first thing you noticed when you walk in? There was a certain smell. You could smell all the new books and the covers and the paper and everything. It was like so that was the first thing that would hit you. Right. Then you would you know, if you were lucky, your mom gave you 20 bucks. You could go to town and buy a few of your favorite books. You buy you buy a Lambo poster. You had to buy the little Lambo poster, you know, so you would come out of there feeling like, man, that was a great experience. And I think in our minds, we know and we understand there is absolute value in those things. And so part of that is just giving that to someone and letting them touch it and hold it and kind of have an experience with the book itself. So I found that it has not really hindered anything because the businesses that want to be out there, they want to be out there. They no longer want to be behind the scenes. They no longer want to be virtual. Matter of fact, more than anything, they're looking for ways and resources to say, how can I reconnect after being so disconnected? 
for so long because of COVID. Oh, a book is a wonderful way for me to do that. It gives me an excuse to get out there. It gives us something to talk about. It gives us something uh, as a conversation starter, right? Um, and obviously, again, a book is very powerful because it automatically conveys that authority. The word author comes from that, right? That's where we right. get the word authority from the, the root word of author. So all of those things are combined and all of those things I think are really helping today in 2023 and probably moving forward to help get us back to our old selves again before, you know, pre-COVID world. Right. Now, here you got a point here in terms of a lot of companies do want the old school back. And um, one of the examples is we've had this uh, work from home for the last two and a half years. And now a lot of companies, especially the major tech companies, are trying to mandate coming back to work where mm -hmm. employees are resistant. Now, part of the mandate that they're doing what they call hybrid, uh, which is two to three days a week. But there's even resistance on that. Now, I don't know how about uh, your economy because I can't speak for, you know, where you live, but I'm looking around my area. I'm looking around what's going on in my own country, my own city, and uh, things are not looking so sharp. So I think right now the resistance is high, but I think as the recession gets bigger and bigger, and I believe it will, I think a lot more people are going to start uh, being taken back and uh, worried about their employment. And as that happens... I think a lot more people are going to be willing to go back with less resistance. Um, Definitely. But where I'm I going agree. with this is that uh, it's amazing how something unexpected, like a pandemic, can disrupt the world. And, and then you get a, you really get a mixture of people out there. You got some that want to pretend the pandemic never existed and want everything to go back just the way it was. And you have a whole new group that think that everything that's changed is permanent. And I think the reality is somewhere in the middle. So, <clears throat> yeah, I'd have to agree with you. And I think you're, you make a great point there because right now people are comfortable, right? They've gotten kind of lazy. They've gotten spoiled. They love the idea of being able to work from home. And I think the mindset that they should have had was, let me just enjoy this while I can, because I know for a fact that it's temporary. OK, maybe the silver lining to all of this chaos is that, yes, I do get to work from home and still make money. But, you know, I can't expect for the for my employer to do that forever. But what we're seeing is people are saying, you know, oh, no, I'm, you know, I'm upset because how dare they make me go back to the way it was before. But it's like, no, you know, you you should just be grateful for the time that you had. But now it's time to get back to work. OK, like the rest of us. So get out of your comfort zone and go. Otherwise, yeah, the, the companies has absolutely entitled to let you go. And then if you can find another company that is open to doing that exclusively, then great. Go ahead. But you need to respect the fact that that maybe that employer in particular does want people to either go back full time or at least hybrid, like you said. And that's the way it goes. And if the if the economy does, in fact, get worse, which it may very well do so. Um, you're going to start seeing more of a shift in people's mindset, which is more of, I just better be grateful for what I've got in general. Yeah, exactly. Now, the, the thing that I find mind boggling about it is the fact that you took a job that required you to be at the office five days a week. So that was the job you agreed to. Circumstances changed that, but now it's like you don't want to honor the original agreement you made. Correct. So it's not like it's like you agreed to work from home and now they're saying go to the office, we changed our mind. You took a job that was five days in the office. Why is it a problem when they want you to do the job you took? That's right. 
That's right. And like I said, I think it's just people got way too comfortable. And, and, you know, the reason why these companies want them back is because when I used to go to, um, to the store at 11 AM, it would look like a Saturday. And I'm like, why is it so busy here? Why is it so crowded? It's because you're not at home working. You're here at the store, you know, now I'm self-employed. I've got employees that are doing work for me. I have that luxury of, of being a little bit more flexible with my time, but that's because I took tremendous risk and I went through hell to build the business to get to that point. Whereas you, you didn't have to do that. You, you had a comfortable cushy job and you're basically in a way you're, you're, let's be honest, you're, you're at least partially stealing from your employer by not, maybe not giving them enough of your time and your effort and your energy. And you're going and just doing all kinds of things during the day. And then you know, now work is on the back burner. And so now that the, the economy has shifted, these employers are saying, wait a minute, um, the numbers are down and we can't afford that anymore. We need you to work. We need you to put in that time and energy. And so that's life. That's the way it works. And people have just gotten way too comfortable from the way things were with the previous generations. And if you talk to the previous generations, they will, they think it's ludicrous. They don't understand it because that's all they ever knew. You go to work, you do your thing, you go home, you don't question it. And so we're living a very entitled in society today. And unfortunately, some of these people are going to definitely be learning the hard way. Well, I'm glad you opened up this can of worms. Maybe I'm glad at least. Because um, <laughs> uh, I want to touch upon something, something I noticed. And uh, I'm not going to mention companies for obvious reasons. But I have uh, friends that are working and are doing the hybrid and whatever. And I remember it's sort of the same thing that we're talking about now here's the thing, right? Like, yeah, you go to the store at 11 or 12 or whatever, and you see a lot of people out there that normally wouldn't have been out there or whatever. Now, whether they're just other self-employed people or whether they're workers, who knows? We, we don't know to a certainty. I'm sure it's a bit of both. Sure. Um, but here's what I noticed. I don't think it's any more productive to have them in the office. And I bet you didn't expect me to say that. <laughs> and here's my reason for it. And this is my belief. And, and I'm saying this just from my observation from friends. Sure. Is that, uh, you know, work from home, conveniently, they're done all the work they normally would be done by noon. They work from the office and they're barely getting it done by 5 p.m. How's that possible? And I'll tell you how. What happened is motivation. What ends up happening is when you're at home, you want to go out for that coffee. You want to have that hour lunch instead of 30 minute lunch. So what ends up happening, you work in turbo, you work in hyper turbo, and you get everything done for the day by noon. So then you can go out for lunch, take your time back, go shopping a bit, come back at 2, 2.30 before you hit the computer, and sure. the workload hasn't been affected. Now, you're saying, why don't they just do more work when they're in the office? Well, like, like everything. Unlike sales, you don't get a quota. You get a certain amount of work, and whenever you get it done, you get it done. And that's just what's expected. So... If they finish by 12, just the same way, all of a sudden it shows they're not busy enough. So either they get more work or the company realizes there's fat and they lay off people. Sure. So what you do, you have to expand your time. So you do it slower. You allow yourself to get distracted. Next thing you know, you're done by five where you could have actually done it by 12. Now, a lot of people argue with me on that and saying, oh no, that's not the case. And, and there's going to be some people that in the company that are genuinely slow where they actually need the five, whether they're at home or whether they're in the office. Sure. But I'm willing to bet there's a good portion that are actually just pacing themselves so they don't get more things thrown at them. Sure. And when they're at home, they want to have their freedom. 
so they get it done by noon. You, I mean, you bring up a fair point, and and here, so here's my feedback on that. I think there's there's two different types of employees. I think there is more of the self-starter type, the type that says, "Here's your task," and they take it and they run with it, and they're like, "Am I rewarded for getting this done sooner?" Because if I could get it done sooner, I would like the reward of being able to go and have my freedom for the rest of the day. And then there's the other person that pretty much says, I need somebody to kind of like stand over my back and, and watch what I'm doing and hold me accountable to make sure that I get this done. Right. In my experience, I think the majority of people are in the latter category. Right. And right. I think that that's also part of the reason why we don't see nearly as many people self-employed anymore like the way we used to there used to be a lot more people that were self-employed now what do we hear throughout all of schooling um it's all about college 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 and okay now the thing is is that there's not anything in and of itself bad about that but the schooling route and the college route is very much hyper focused on creating employees okay and so they don't really push a whole lot of anything other than that they just want you to go to college and you don't really think about it and you just go get yourself a great job and then you climb hopefully the corporate ladder and that's that, right? But then there's another portion of us, which is getting smaller and smaller that are saying, you know what? I don't want to be in the box. I want to do my own thing. I want to make my own rules. I want to be the boss of this thing. And I, you know, and it takes a lot of work. And like I mentioned earlier, there's a lot of sacrifice that goes into creating those type of things. But I think for the most part, most people do need a decent amount of handholding and a decent amount of accountability. Now, I'm the kind of guy, I'm the kind of boss where I prefer not to sit there and have to babysit the people who are working for me, right? I want as little accountability um, in overwatch, I guess you could say. Um, and, and that's how I feel. Like, I don't like people to be looking over my shoulder. And so I guess I kind of don't like to do that to others. The, the problem, though, is that there are some people that absolutely need that. So there need to be different types of criteria. There need to be certain types of benchmarks, obviously. Um, you mentioned the word sales earlier, right? Sales in and of itself is usually the benchmark. So if you're a sales rep, as long as you're you know, meeting your quotas, then really the reality is who cares what you do with the rest of your time because you met your quota, right? Yeah. And so I love when businesses and, and jobs are set up through a, some sort of a, a system of, of performance, right? Or, or of merit, meritocracy type of environments, right? So in other words, the better you do, the more rewards that you receive. So in my opinion, I just think that as long as the job is getting done, and if that employer says, this is what we need done and it's getting done, I do believe that there should absolutely be a system in place to say, now go ahead, you're free, you're done. You did, you know, you did what you needed to do. Um, but I think though that uh, there are more employees than not that are, that are just not going to really be able to be that self-starter and really get yeah. a lot of that stuff done. And they are going to need someone to watch over them. And if they're not, then I think the performance does diminish. And I think that is the main reason we're starting to see that turnaround of we need you back in the office because they're looking at the numbers. They're looking at the metrics and the numbers and the metrics are not looking so hot anymore. And so they're like, what are we going to do? We got to get them back under our, our supervision again. Um, but to your point, I think it's good and fair for employers to maybe have some sort of a system in place to reward those that do get their stuff done and that do perform. They should not have to be stuck there all day long if they've done what they've done. And the other guy just wants to keep going over there to the water cooler, so to speak, and keep, you know, socializing and doing other things and taking a sweet time. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's why I believe in the hybrid. I don't believe work from home 100%. 
And I don't believe that you have to be in the office five days a week. So I, I, I'm a firm believer in the hybrid where you're like half and half. Sure. Also, Makes I sense. believe that being in the office breeds creativity. And that's one thing that's lacking from home. And it uh, goes to what you're saying. There's some good aspects to virtual and Zoom and all that stuff. But it doesn't breed the creativity. And that only happens when people are in the same room together, shooting the crap and, uh, you know, exchanging ideas. That doesn't happen on uh, virtual. Definitely. Definitely. I just think, though, that if you know your employer was more so about that, then like you said earlier, you, you need to respect that. Otherwise, if you don't like that and you want more of a hybrid or a virtual, then you need to actually go and find a different employer where they're saying this is how this job is structured from from the jump, from the get go. And as long as you know that that's the agreement going into it and they're not changing it later, then, you know, I think that's a better that's a more fair setup. Yeah, absolutely. So moving forward from that is um, what would be the uh, biggest challenge you had, you know, in uh, the marketing business, like when you started off and got uh, going? I think the, the challenge that I had with that was the same challenge of any any business that's starting really is just that the, that there's a very limited amount of resources. And, and usually at that point in time, because, um, you know, with the businesses that I've started, both of them, and I've had a couple of other side, little small side projects, I never had any of them start with like some type of big giant loan. Um, I never started any of them with, you know, a huge amount of funding or anything like that. And so every everything that I've done has had to start with very much grassroots um, shoestring budget type stuff. Right. And like the, the, the financial business, I had a business partner. And okay. which is a blessing and a curse. Yeah. In a sense, right. It was a blessing that I was able to split up the duties and we were able to kind of tag team. And then we kind of split the stress <laughs> too. this time around, though, I decided that I did not want a partner because in the end, I felt I felt like that partner ended up basically kind of saying, well, you're doing the bulk of the work. I'm just going to kind of ride your coattails. Um, but that but that partner also still wanted half of the revenue still. And so I said, you know what, I think this time around, I'm going to go it on my own. And um, but, you know, there's some other difficulties that come along with that because you're definitely doing it by yourself. You don't have as much help. Now, I've always been a big fan. I learned early on. I read a book by Tim Ferriss called uh, The 4-Hour Work Week, and I read that like around 2010. And that's where I was introduced to this concept of, of outsourcing employees overseas. And so I really, I really, really fell in love with that. So I've had employees overseas um, now for over 10 years and they're affordable, but their work ethic is very high. And anything that they, that does not require their physical presence, they can do, right? And so again, going back to some of what we were just talking about, you know, I have them, I, there's a trust factor. I don't sit there and babysit everything they do, but I know what needs to be done and I can see if it's not being done. And so as, as long as things are getting done, if they take a pause and they go eat lunch or they, you know, take a nap or whatever, I don't care as long as they're getting the things done that I need them to get done. And so going into this business, I did at least I was able to bring some of those over. And so this time, yes, it was mostly me, but I did still have a little bit of support and I did have a little bit of help. But I think that's always one of the big challenges is that you got a lot of things on your plate because it's just you. So you're selling, but then you're also sometimes having to do the fulfillment on the back end because maybe you're you're, you're not bringing in enough revenue yet to just 100 percent outsource the entire um, process to someone else. Right. The financial business, I had that thing running 100 percent 
a hundred percent well let's say 95 percent on its own so i really didn't have to do anything with that because i got it to a point where between software automations and the employees overseas the entire business ran itself from top to bottom that five percent was just me kind of keeping an eye on things and and once in a blue moon maybe putting out a fire and that's about it um this business i'm still in the process of of building those things out so i do have that help but um, again, I don't have all this money to spend on giant uh, marketing campaigns. I don't have this enormous ad budget for Facebook ads, you know, that kind of thing. And so um, that was a big part of the reason why I decided to go with the BNI uh, route was because it, it was kind of a forced networking. I had to be at that meeting every single week and spending an hour and a half there and telling people about my business. And it takes a little bit of time and it's kind of an old school process. But if you do stick with it, it absolutely 100% works and it's been very fruitful for me. But um, it took a while to really get things moving along and you have to keep that dedication. You got to keep going, even though maybe the funds are not there like you want them to be. And that's where things can get really, really challenging. Absolutely. Now, what would be your uh, biggest triumph? I think the biggest triumph is basically taking the business from nothing and turning it into something at least decent at this point. I'm a long, long ways from where I want to be, but it is, um, it is, you know, basically, um, I've been in that BNI group for about six months. So that's kind of where I really feel like I've been giving it the biggest push. And, um, and so things have really blown up quite a bit in a six month time period. And I think that's a big accomplishment because, again, it went from zero to something. And um, and again, most people are relying on, well, I need to have a loan and I need to get this funding and I need to have this, that and the other. And um, it is absolutely possible to do it without that. And so I think that is a big accomplishment. And I think a lot of businesses are out there hustling and grinding and doing things that way without really any money and their backs against the wall. And I don't think, you know, they, they, maybe they don't get enough credit for getting out there and hustling like that and doing those kind of things because it, that is that is a big, big accomplishment. And it's kind of goes under the radar for the most part. Makes sense. Love that. So with that being said, what would your advice be to a new and aspiring entrepreneur who has a great idea, grand idea, has limited funds, wants to get out there and uh, is, just doesn't want to do the nine to five, but wants to take the plunge and uh, jump in full time and do their, uh, you know, get their idea to market? Yeah, really, really, really great question, John. Um, but I think my advice would be first and foremost, get ready because you're going to be going through a whole lot of pain and agony. Um, it's going to take a little while. And so be prepared. Hopefully you have some type of savings or some type of cushion there, at least that you can kind of help stabilize and at least keep your base, your most basic uh, needs met, you know, during that time period. If you have a family, if you have a spouse, make sure that they're supportive, make sure that they're on board because that is key. That is such a big thing. You know, my wife was my cheerleader. She was my rock. She's just my number one. She's there for me. And so I sometimes come home and I'm feeling kind of low because maybe that particular day or that particular week, things didn't go the way I wanted it to go because that's how business is. You have great weeks and then you have down weeks. <clears throat> you need someone that you can turn to and you need someone that can at least say, hey, keep going. I see the progress that you're making. You're doing a great job. Keep on. Don't give up. You know, we all I think we all do need that at some time at some point in time because we're human. Right. So definitely make sure that you have as much of a good support system as you uh, possibly can. And then make sure most of all, I think this is the most important thing. Make sure you're setting aside time to actually educate yourself and learn. 
So when in the earlier years of my financial business, I would go to Barnes and Noble on, on nights and weekends. And I kind of used it like a library. I'd go in there. I didn't even really have the money to buy the books yet, but I'd go in there. I'd read a book or two. I'd sit around, drink some coffee, learn as much as I could, even take some notes. And then I would try to implement what I learned as quickly as possible. Then I'd go back the next week on a Friday night. I'd do the same thing. And then the next thing you know, a month or two goes by and now there's actually a little bit of revenue. Now I can actually maybe buy some of those books. Now I can actually start implementing um, the things that I've learned in those things. And hopefully that just keeps snowballing. But if you're not taking the time to learn different strategies, you're, you're probably going to do poorly because it's not, I always tell people, you're not really in the business of the trade that you're in. So, you, you know, if you're a plumber, you think you're the, you need to be the best plumber. If you're a lawyer, I got to be the best lawyer on and on. The reality is when you're self-employed, you are the, in more of the marketing of that particular service business. So you could be the best plumber in town. You could be the best lawyer in town, but if you don't really know how to get out there and spread the word, about what it is that you're doing, eventually, um, most likely it's going to taper off and you're, you're, you know, there's a good likelihood that you, you may have to shut things down because you're not actually going out there and making sure that you're building some type of a pipeline of new leads and new clients that can actually keep coming in and stabilize things financially for yourself as you try to build that. So those are some of the, um, so some of the, you know, basic advice that I have and my favorite, um, my mentor, my number one guy, his name is Dan Kennedy. So if you are in that position, whether you're new or experienced, by the way, definitely go out there and look up Dan Kennedy. He has a lot of books. All of his books are are under the No BS series, which is what I love about him. He's very direct, very brutal, very, you know, he's a professor of harsh reality is what he calls himself, which is what we need, you know, because and also the other thing is sometimes we have these ideas that are ludicrous and um, some of these ideas are good. And so sometimes we do need a rational voice there to kind of tell us, you know, maybe this is not the best thing to go all in on. You know, maybe you need to be a little bit cautious or hear a few other people's opinions before you go all in on this thing and end up spending time, money, energy, investment and all that. And maybe it, it, as as um, one of the sharks says, maybe you should have taken it around the barn and killed it a long time ago. So <laughs> that's that's my advice to people that are getting started. There, there will be some blood, sweat and tears. So get ready. Awesome. So what, who would your ideal clientele be? I typically work with professional service providers, coaches, consultants, um, those types. They usually do best because they are very much in the referral business. And so if at the end of the day, I usually tell people this, if you give a business card to someone, if you have a business where you're like, let me give you my business card then you typically, as a general rule, I can work with that because all we are really doing is we are taking the boring business card and we're just turning it into something a hundred times better with this little book, this little small book that we can help you produce. We call this the ultimate business card. So it's, you know, it's like a business card, but it's so much more. A lot of times business cards do get thrown away. Um, a book typically will not get thrown away. I have a very difficult time throwing any book away. I will give it away before I will throw it away in most cases. And I think that's that's true for just about any book. So they have a very, very long shelf life. They last. People pass them around. They get referred. They get talked about. And I'm sorry, you're just not going to really find that with a business card, as again, as a general rule. So if you have a card and you're giving it out and you're referring it to people, 
you're most likely you're a good fit for for what we do with our our book publishing service makes sense you know what like i agree with you about business cards almost everybody throws them out not whether they should or not is a different argument but that's typically what happens now i don't think anybody typically wants to throw it out i think what happens is they take the business card because usually they're looking for it um, they figure they'll put it in their phone at some point or whatever. They bring it home or put it somewhere. So when I need it, I'll have it. And then what ends up happening is clutter. Like everything clutter happens. Then you have somebody come on over. Everybody's going to clean and they do a fast clean. And what happens is if they don't know what it is, they just grab it and chuck it. And that's usually people's business cards. And then next sure. thing you know, oh, I uh, knew somebody for that. Who was it? Oh, I can't remember. And so whoever they think of next is the one they go with. So it was kind of a uh, defeated purpose. Very true. Very true. And also think about the impression that it's going to make on someone if they actually do look, you know, they have to read your book from cover to cover, but even if they read a little bit of it, right. Think about how much more you'll stand out in their mind with that type of uh, resource because you've educated them. You're the advocate for their success. They don't see you as a threat. You're not just some grimy sales guy, you know, matter of fact, I'm working on a, on another book. I'm about, I'm about 80% done with my next book right now. And the title of the book is salesmen have brochures, uh, experts have books. That's the name of my next book. And that kind of, that kind of, you know, tells it like it is right. So usually if you're using business cards and brochures, you're, you're going to come across more of a sales guy. If you've got a book, you're going to come across as an expert. And so that's kind of more of the pathway that we're trying to direct our clients towards. Makes total sense. Well, in light of time, I'm going to ask you two more questions before I get into what I call the lightning round. And Sounds good. Second last question, how do you know it's been a successful day? How do you know it's been a successful day? For myself, it doesn't, believe it or not, it doesn't always have to boil down to making sales. Um, as long as I feel like I've done at least a good job of laying seeds as well. Um, if I've made some good connections, if I've been able to do a couple of, of you know, uh, sales calls, if I've been able to do a presentation or a podcast like what we're doing right now. I honestly feel very productive and I think it's been a good day. Obviously though, the ultimate is, you know, closing, closing deals um, because that's always the lifeblood of any business. So closing deals is a, is a big deal. And that is the highest uh, level of success within a productive day, but that's not the only, that's not the only factor. And so as long as you know that you're out there and you're doing your thing and you are, um, you know, raising awareness and you are making those connections, then I think it's it's still very, very much a, a successful day, at least in my book. Fantastic. Last but not least, before the lightning round, how do people find you? Um, the best way to reach me is at my website, expertpublishing.associates. So instead of .com, it's expertpublishing.associates. You can also find me on Twitter, uh, publisher underscore Marco at publisher underscore Marco. Um, so those are probably the two best ways that you can uh, reach out to me. And I'm also on LinkedIn as well, Marco Salinas. Uh, and you should see something on there uh, about uh, expert publishing. Fantastic. So let's get into the lightning round. It's just uh, two, three questions uh, that are just fun, you know, formative uh, questions. Sure. Like the first one is going to be, what is your favorite food? I'm going to have to say Texas barbecue. Interesting. Yeah, I'm in Texas. I'm a big Texas guy. I'm very proud of my state. And we take a lot of pride in our barbecue down here, uh, particularly uh, brisket. And so um, I'm going to have to say that that Texas barbecue, specifically brisket, is definitely uh, my favorite. And uh, I've got the Texas belly to, to prove it. 
That's funny. Um, favorite vacation spot and why? Um, again, I'm going to have to show love to Texas again. Um, you know, I, I'm kind of like, uh, I believe that I don't need to go on a, a particularly extravagant vacation for it to be a wonderful, you know, enjoyable getaway. And so my family and I, we really love the Texas Hill Country. The Texas Hill Country is just an absolutely beautiful place. We've got beautiful spring rivers out there and, um, you know, Texas blue bonnets all over the place at this time of the year, our state flower. And so it's a beautiful place and it doesn't take that long. I can get back in an hour and a half and get back to work if I need to. And then it only takes an hour and a half to get there to go have a getaway. And when I'm there, I feel like I'm I feel like I'm away from everything. And so um, I'm going to have to just go with something simple like that, because uh, for me and for my family, it, it works. Makes sense. And favorite book or podcast and or. Oh, man. Okay. So talk about opening a can of worms. Yeah. <laughs> so right now I have a, a podcast that is my absolute favorite and it has nothing to do with business. Is that okay, John? That I'm absolutely. Okay. It's called the exorcist files. Interesting. So, so this is a book about a, a priest who's an exorcist for the last 20 years. And he has all these case files and he basically changed the name and then they turned this into one of these it's one of these cooler, newer podcasts where it's you're listening to almost like a, it sounds like a movie, you know, like there's just it's like reenacting um, these particular cases of, of these real true exorcism files that he has. And so it's the real thing. It doesn't have all that extreme Hollywood stuff like the movies do. I think they've gotten a little out of hand. It's a little overboard. You know, the stuff that you're you're listening to here is real. You're it, it's from the actual case files. And so it's legitimate. I learn a lot, but it also keeps me on the edge of my seat. Um, and so I'm just completely, absolutely hooked on that podcast right now. As far as a book, I'm definitely going to have to go with um, with a Dan Kennedy book. Um, I absolutely love, obviously, everything that he puts out. But his his kind of his main book is, um, uh, you know, no BS book about direct response marketing. It right. just kind of covers... The, all the general rules and concepts of the type of marketing that I was taught by him and that I, that I believe in, which is, you know, especially for a small business, you got to make sure you're doing business that's trackable, where you can make sure that it's getting a response. You can't be doing this Apple Coca-Cola branding stuff where there's no way to track it. You've got to make sure that you hold your marketing accountable. And that is key to small business success with marketing. And, um, that's the kind of marketing that he presents with, um, with this no BS direct response marketing book. Fantastic. Last question, but not least, if you had unlimited amount of money and you had 48 hours to spend it, what you spend gets to stay and what you don't spend gets taken away. What would you do? Wow, man, that's a heavy, that's a heavy question. <laughs> I've kind of had some thoughts of things like that in the past. And I think, I'm not really a go and splurge on material things kind of a guy. Um, I really feel like when I get access to money, I always want to put it into something where I can see some sort of a return on it. And so um, I think whatever I would do, it would just, it, I would have to make sure that I set it up and structure the money in a certain place where there would be a way that that money could be used or that item could be used to actually produce revenue. So one of the things that I had learned about, and you've probably heard of this, is this concept of using a life insurance policy, basically like as a, as a savings account. And I'm really, really sold on that business. 
on that structure on that type of service i if i could get access to money i would basically just put it into an account like that um and then what i like about it is that if i'm gone my children and my grandchildren and, and my wife or whoever they have access to it but there would be a certain criteria that they'd have to use that money for something that's going to get a return on the investment and then when they take that money out they would also need to create another policy and that way when they pass away whatever they took out gets replenished by their policy so i think it's a it's a it's created as a way to create generational wealth but with limitations so that you don't end up with these Paris Hilton type situations where the kids get access to unlimited money and then they just, you know, they go and, and they lose their mind. Right. And they're doing all kinds of crazy stuff. And I just think it's a brilliant way to utilize money and make sure that it lasts and that it doesn't disappear and that, that it, again, it's held accountable and that it's used for proper things. And maybe that wasn't what you thought you would get out of me for that question, John, but that's um, that's what I think uh, would be best usage of, of unlimited amount of money if I could leave it. And, and make sure that it gets put to good usage. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it wasn't really a so much about what I think. It's just a matter of uh, how you think. That's it's kind of what the question was, uh, you know, supposed to do. Gotcha. And I kind of did that. So it's, yeah, it's just giving people an insight into who you are and how you think. Perfect. So that has been awesome, man. This has been a great interview. I want to say thank you for being on the show. Thank you. I really appreciate you having me. It's been very, very enjoyable. And you've asked some amazing questions. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. It was inspired by what you say, because it's usually how I do my interviews. I go through it and basically respond to your, you know, what you guys say. So <laughs> sure. Definitely. Appreciate you. Thanks so much. Absolute pleasure, man. If you like what you saw and you want to see more, subscribe to the link below.